Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that help shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? Don't. What was that? A monster. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, free-form discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got a call. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. I got to tell you, man, um, so far, so good on The Last of Us. Man, I mean, it's really given me everything I want from a uh, post-apocalyptic world. Little touches the pre-apocalyptic world to really, like, just give me that succulent little stuff. I never played the game. So to actually get introduced to this world has been really fascinating for me. Justin Wellborn, who is joining me here for the bonus edition of Cargo Cult, which is us covering every episode of The Last of Us. <laughs> I um, also, you made the point before we got started of telling our good friends, uh, Sam and Oscar here, I got that right, didn't I? Uh, telling our good friends that, hey guys, good morning, by the way. Yeah, morning. Morning. So we were talking about the fact that Oscar is not going to watch it until he plays it, and we tried to dissuade him of that because one of the other things that they told um, the cast was, please don't play this game. Yeah, they wanted them absolutely fresh and that everything should seem very organic to them. Um, I wonder if that was part of the casting decision, although I can't believe it given the perfection of the cast. Have you ever played The Last of Us? Yes. Sorry. You can't come. You can't come. You can't, come. You can't be a part Nick of Offerman, it. Nick Offerman, who is actually not on the show quite yet, but apparently he is on the show, said that the last games he played were uh, Galaga and Joust. So, yeah. Which I which I don't find surprising Those at all. Those are still some of my favorite games to play. <laughs> By the way, I really wish uh, Nick Offerman would actually do a Teddy Roosevelt movie while there is still time. Uh, he'd be so good at that. He would be. He's just such a natural Ron Swanson fit to the entire Teddy Roosevelt. He is. He's a rough rider, dude. I mean, you know. By the way, I got so fired up in seeing that he was coming up. I went back and watched. uh, There is an Army commercial, uh, Army Strong, about their officer training corps that basically says they lead, and they show Washington on the Delaware across frozen rivers. They lead, and they show Douglas MacArthur. From island to island. And then they show a picture of Teddy Roosevelt posing with all his Rough Riders uh, at San Juan Hill. And it says, they lead to higher ground. I'm like, I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm 53 years old and I want to lead somebody to someplace interesting. That kind of appeals to me. So, yeah, so far so good on The Last of Us. Um, it, the other thing I was thinking of, too. So were you a fan of Watchmen? Oh, I read the comic book as soon as I was exposed to it. And then, do you mean specifically the movie? Or I meant the HBO in, series. Of course. I mean, one way or the other, um, I didn't hate the movie because it really kind of, it, it gave us some of the things in the comic book that were so iconic to it. But I loved the Watchmen, the series, and I'm really glad they decided to kind of step away from it after one season. You know? Yeah. It, it just, it hit the mark. And they walked away. They just mic dropped that show. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, too. The thing I loved about Watchmen, the series, was I felt it was actually more in the spirit of the comic comic book book. than Zack Snyder's movie, which I I. felt so kind of... 
I, I don't want to call it fascist, but I find a lot of what Zack Snyder does really kind of epic, heroic, and larger than life, which of course is not where Watchmen resides in anybody's imagination. And there's a flatness. Yes, the humanness of superheroes. There's you know? a flatness to Watchmen, a deliberate flatness, even to the illustrations mm-hmm. and the animation, a kind of griminess to yeah. it that I thought the television show just absolutely nailed. The reason I bring this up in regards to The Last of Us is I've always felt that one of the things that the long form in regards to creating uh, dramatic television. Sure. Now, streaming series, a seven, eight, ten hour production rather than a two hour movie. I've always felt that one of the real kind of ways to nail the long form is to make sure you get the absolute short form inside the long form perfect. And there is an episode, and I mean that cold opens, you know, the scene before we actually get to the credits of the thing. And one of the finest cold openings ever, and I think one of the greatest five, ten minute plays of all time written, is in Watchmen when she shows up with the baby for the couple to buy their land. Oh, right. Oh, my God. You You have one minute to choose, and we actually hear the ship landing outside because they say, we don't want to adopt a child. We don't. It's like, no, you don't understand. No, no, no. We're... (laughs) <laughs> this is literally his DNA and your DNA. Right. This is your child, yeah, the real yeah. deal. And the tension and the promise and the hope and the chilliness of it and the creepiness of it. And literally within five Because they're so days, casual about wanting to buy this baby. And it's just such a, a capitalist, you know, here's the money down. This is what it is. And, and, and literally- It's also like uh, one, uh, the father of the couple is my friend Rob Pralga. So yeah. it, it actually kind of stuck with literally me. Literally when they said, not, not only do you get the baby, but you get three million. Dollars. I yeah, mean, it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's crazy, and 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 the way it opens with that sweet opening of them, like you know, falling in love and getting married, and then realizing they can't have kids, and kind of in long, you know, in short form, an entire relationship, sure. and then dropping us in the middle of that in media res of buy a baby, change your life, you have one minute to decide. Right. Brilliant. One minute. Brilliant. And 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 a lot of Watchmen had those kind of great cold opens. The two cold opens we have had so far on The Last of Us Brilliant. have been the first things that I felt rivaled those cold opens. Where Because that's the trick of a cold open. A cold open should only be tangentially related to the actual story. The ideas about going backstory, going backwards sure. and forwards and all uh-huh. that. I love the fact that it only, inter- you know, that, it, that they, they exist kind of outside. So the opening scene in the first one with the talk show in the 60s, staggering. Utterly sure. chilling in its clinical. With three great actors that we're probably never going to see again. Never going to see again. Rest of the show. Three so great that, that's actors. Really amazing. And then, and then this cold open, which in my mind, uh, because I was really, because I watched them both again last night, and to to watch the first one, I was like, oh, that really gave me a, the talk show. Really gave me a feeling of what's going to happen to this world. I didn't get introduced into any of the main characters, but the the world itself. You know, what's going to happen is this fungal infection. The cold opening for episode two was so staggeringly, heartrendingly, uh, uh, just amazing to watch that this. This scientist who who has made her entire we're, we're spoiling right. Oh, right, knock right? yourself yeah, out! Yeah, knock 100%, yourself out! Just want to make sure. Yeah, who you know? I mean, she she studied fungus her entire life. This is in Indonesia in Jakarta, uh, where one way or the other the cops come and get her. This general comes to get her, and she doesn't know. Is she under arrest? Is she, you know? Because these are the kind wrong? of countries. These are the oh. kind of countries where they are not Orwellian, because Orwellian also means. 
dilapidated, falling apart. The apparatus has literally crushed every bit. These are these kind of hyper-capitalist places where the police every once in a while step in. Yeah, and, and sometimes just, they just execute you. Just execute that, you. That's just how it is. As a matter of fact, they mentioned that uh, later on. Well, the, the, the others that we took into uh, custody, well... They were executed. But the decency of him, oh, the, yeah. the decency and warmth of him is it just it's of a remark- general. It's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. 10 what minute can we play. Do? What can, can we, we do? do? And just the silence coming from her when she just says, bomb, bomb. She asked a couple of pointed questions because yeah. she wants to make sure how many people. And and when he yeah. first says, "Oh, it's already ex- out there." When he okay. first executes the first four, there's a sense of okay. okay. Next question is how many people have not been accounted for? Fourteen. 14. Game set match. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And we don't know who bit her. That's it. You got something? Bomb the place. Um, I was just thinking because right before I watched The Last of Us, I was watching Chernobyl since that is the same hey. people behind that. And just watching the first half of that like episode, you think, wow, these guys could nail like The Last of Us because that show is depressing and grim. <laughs> and then you go into like The Last of Us, which I've played the game four times, and I'm jealous of when Oscar or whoever else has not played the game, how they're going to go into that show. Because if they nail even just the rest of the feel of that game, like that game is really just depressing and grim, even though there is parts that are hopeful, but it's yeah, game it's is rough. A, game is a gut punch. The game is an unending gut punch because... Um, and that's it, the fun of a dystopian world, too. I mean, one way or the other, you look for those little points of light, like, I found food or, you know, hey, companionship. But a dystopian world really isn't just supposed to work out, you know? The idea that there might be some hope out there is what keeps people going. I actually always have this little thought exercise when it's going on would would you want to be one of those people would you want to be one of the survivors in the post-apocalyptic world or would you just rather be one of the you know slowly fungal rotting people on the staircase that they walk over and i don't know man it's a hard question so we did a show this weekend um on the weekend 34 the dave nemo weekends we did a show where we asked them asked the callers what their everyday superpower was um, the idea that, you know, I mean, for instance, one of mine is that I can find parking on Christmas Eve at a, at a grocery store or a, uh, a mall. Uh, the other one is I can walk into a grocery store, look at five full lines uh, with five cashiers and five backed up lines and literally tell you which the fastest line is. It was really fun. Got a lot of great calls. One guy called up and I love this story. He said, I don't know if this falls under what you're talking about, but I want to tell you a story. He said, my, um, my wife uh, is Ukrainian. Her mother was in Ukraine uh, when the whole war began. We went to Warsaw. We rented an apartment. We got her mom out. We got nine other people out. We went and brought them all back to the United States, and we are currently in the process of helping each and every one of them find a new home. And he paused, and he said, I, f- I feel like I've lived a good life. I feel like I've done a lot of stuff in my life that I'm, I'm proud of my life. He said, but I always, I always felt like I had not done anything. I mean, I hadn't done something. And he paused and he said, I don't feel like that anymore. Hmm. And we felt really good for him. And I totally understood where he was coming from. So when you ask the question, do you think that there are people like that? I keep thinking of the world's end and Simon Pegg's character. (laughs) Remember that? I mean, you think about that, that there are people. And, you know, it's one of the great problems that we and I think part of the the urge toward dystopia has always been there. Sure it has. I I think the love of apocalypse, the entire idea that in our lifetime, the end will come. I think 
That is just an extension to the idea that we individually will die. So the idea of the entire world falling apart is actually somewhat attractive. Oh, I'd be here for the end. I wasn't here for the beginning. I, I, I don't know what happened. I just kind of got born into it. But the idea of the whole thing ending, what that would be, it's been around as long as, you know, people have been writing things down, whether it's a great flood or fire or, you know, anything else. We've always been prognosticating how the end is going to happen. And let me tell you something. I am a person who lived through Katrina, as you know. I mean, really lived through it. I mean, I watched, you know, my mom and dad lost their home. Their brothers and sisters lost their homes. Uh, literally, there are 60 plus people who were either aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins who lost everything. Right gone. And as my mom loves to say, when your house burns down, your neighbors come to the rescue. What happens when everybody's house burns down? And I've always told this story too. I've told it on the air as well. But um, we were watching it on television in Austin and I was packing up the car to go. It was some serious damage, but the levees hadn't broke yet. And I was packing up the car to get back in there and start helping with the recovery process because the damage was already significant. And then my friend Karen turned and she said, the 17th Street Canal just breached. What does that mean? I said, no. I said, you mean the ones in the east? I said, it's the one in the east that breached. She said, no, the 17th Street Canal just breached. What does that mean? And I walked over to the TV and saw it. And I said, we're not going home for a long, long time. And within 30 minutes, 13 feet of water had consumed my parents' house and the entire tax base of the city of New Orleans. So we went back into that town, and there was a moment when we went back to my mom and dad's neighborhood, and you guys are going to love this, where I'm there at night with my dad, and we step into that abandoned house with flashlights to go, because upstairs, my mom and dad lived upstairs, my brother-in-law and sister lived downstairs. So there were a couple of things upstairs, photographs, a couple of keepsakes worth retrieving, and all you heard was, And I went, what the hell is that? <laughs> and my dad goes, it's the lake. Wow. He said, now you know how people navigated when there wasn't all this white noise. He said, but this is even worse. Why? He goes, there's no birds here. He said, there's no life. Why? There's nothing here worth feeding on. It's all been drowned. Thanks for listening to a preview of this episode of Cargo Cult. Like what you heard? Hear more from Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn exclusively on the SiriusXM app. Subscribe today at SiriusXM.com.